welcome to the NLF Insider Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Chandick, Daggett Morse, and producer, Mike Flanagan. Welcome everybody to the NLF Insider Podcast. My name is Matt Chandick. Very excited to host this podcast alongside my co-host, Daggett Morse. Hello. As well as our excellent producer, Mike Flanagan. How's it going, guys? Uh, we're running this podcast in conjunction with NLFRankings.com. Uh, we launched the site in the past year. We've been uh, able to get a lot of content on the, the high school game, obviously the club circuit, uh, been pretty extensive. We've been able to cover events in, uh, I want to say, 12 states at least. Um, so we've been looking for ways to kind of grow this, and we're very excited to, to bring this podcast together. Uh, particularly excited to be joined by, by Daggett as, uh, as our co-host. Um, he is a coach with Laxachusetts. A defensive guru with them, as well as the head coach at Zavarian Brothers in Mass. Uh, Daggett, tell me uh, a little bit about the summer with the LXC boys, and uh, how was your first year with um, Zavarian? Yeah, well, uh, you know, first off, couldn't be happier to uh, find my final form here as a guy who talks about his podcast that no one cares about, so that's going to be great. Um, it was a great summer back. I think we've had like nine guys commit out of our 23 class so far for Massachusetts. Um, little condensed season in Massachusetts uh, for Zavarian, but uh, it was a good first year overall. No complaints on my end. Love to hear it. Flano, you've been all over the place getting content at, at every game. It seems like football, soccer, field hockey, lacrosse, uh, every sport under the sun. Now you're doing stuff for Harvard lacrosse too. How's that been? Appreciate you asking, Matt. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's obviously been a lot of work driving around all corners in new england um i'm actually going down to baltimore in a couple of weeks to film harvard scrimmages against uh st joe's um and i believe they're scrimmaging high point at uh johns hopkins it's been good um you know this past spring was a great time uh, i saw daggett's boys a couple times they uh daggett's first year he's humble they made it to the playoffs which for a first year coach and the catholic conference going up against teams like st john's prep and bc high that's quite the accomplishment so yeah, Mike, we're 0 2 when you actually come to the game, so feel free to skip the rest of them. Yeah, all right, Phil. All right, that's fair enough. I'll, uh, you know, from now on, no more Zavarian Brothers uh, coverage, you know, even though I'm an alum. But anyway, no Matt, thanks. <laughs> Seems pretty fair. Um, all right, well, let's dive right into it. You know, we'll, we'll start off with uh, with the 23s. Obviously, they've been been flying off the board pretty quickly. Um, our entire top 10 is has now committed, and you can find that top 10 on nlfrankings.com. Uh, headlined by, uh, well, pretty much everybody going to Duke. So we've got number one, McCabe Millen. Uh, he just committed this past week. Then you had Ben Johnston, uh, midfielder from True, Illinois, and Avon Old Farms. He committed pretty early on. Matt Christmas at number six, the LSM from uh, DC Dogs. He is 6'4", 210, somehow handles the ball like an attackman. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but... It's really impressive to see in person, I'll tell you that much. And then Tomas Delgado uh, actually was the first one who, who got the ball rolling for the Blue Devils. He's our number seven-ranked recruit. Um, sick many out of prime time, just kind of does everything, offense, defense, uh, transition, very much wants to punch you in the mouth, just that kind of guy. He's got a lot of, uh, a lot of grit and sandpaper to his game. Um, they, added, they also added a goalie for the first time in three classes and Patrick Jamison out of Conestoga. Uh, my neck of the woods. I mean, I've said this a couple of times and 
you know, talking about him uh, on our site, but if you're an Eastern PA All-American goalie as a sophomore, uh, that's good enough for me. I don't really need much else to know that you're legit. Um, I've been doing Philly lacrosse for about 10 years, and I can't remember any sophomore even getting close to All-American. So uh, pretty darn good. And then Cal Girard, a face-off guy from, uh, from shore to shore in Manhasset, um, really, really quick hands was a big, uh, big reason why shore to shore had the success it did at UMass this summer at the NLF National Championships. Uh, Daggett, what kind of jumps out to you about Duke's class? Yeah, well, if you're a Duke fan here, you got to be thrilled that they're clearly coming at this from like the Gordon Gecko school of recruiting. You know, greed is good. Um, you know, why, why don't they just build the whole recruiting class out of top 10 recruits? Uh, we're we're going to find out. It's, it's definitely the strongest right off the jump. You know, the rich get richer. They've had now our number one commit, what, in the last three years running, Matt? Three out of the past four. Joey Spillina broke the, uh, the run when he committed to Syracuse. So... I mean, if, if, if you're not a Duke fan, you, ha you have to be screaming, you know, they can't keep getting away with this <laughs> as you watch these guys roll off the board, right? Every single time uh, Duke gets one of these top commits, I get a text, where are they getting the scholarship money for this? And shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know, man. It's not really what I'm privy to. But Duke obviously doing an incredible job of, of finding the right guys and, and making it all work. I mean, you know, McCabe Millen um, – one of the few number one recruits who actually didn't play in his you know, recruiting summer because he got hurt early on, but he was so dominant um, at McDonough as a sophomore. Um, I think he had, you know, 28 goals, 24 assists, basically four and a half points a game uh, split almost down the middle, you know, can go righty lefty um, just an, you know, he's so explosive. He can kind of attack from anywhere, you know, from X, he can go up top, you know, he, he played uh, up with that 91 Maryland, uh, fire team that was very very good at the 22 age group had a ton of big time commits including will shaller at number 522 um and you know never looked out of place and then he comes down you know plays plays a little bit against 23s and and obviously shine so i'm excited to see kind of how he recovers sounds like he's back at it he's been he's been playing really well um johnston is just this enormous you know physically just an enormous midfielder who just looks physically ready to go on Duke's field like right now. Um, Daggett, Flano, you both caught him at the 1% showcase um, event that I run this summer. And I mean, Daggett, I, I remember you basically just coming, coming across pretty impressed with uh, Mr. Johnston. I mean, physically, you know, jumps off the field. I mean, you could be, you know, blind in one eye and looking the other way and you can still tell that he's just a man amongst boys at an awful lot of times. Um, you know, whether it's, the open field transitioning from D to O or vice versa. Um, always one of the best athletes, very physical. And like you said, skilled to kind of do everything he needs to do. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see him play, you know, early there in that midfield group for them. Yeah, I'm absolutely right. – oh, sorry to cut you off, Matt. Just saying – No, go ahead, go ahead. Just saying as a Syracuse fan, I'm absolutely horrified knowing that the Orange are going to have to go up against him uh, all the next four or five years. Cuse is a couple of good classes in the pipeline. I think you'll be all right. Um, moving on, you got Matt Christmas, uh, 6'4", 210. Like I mentioned earlier, you watch this guy handle the ball. It's actually unbelievable. I mean, he just gets up and down. Um, I mean, he's got to be good for a goal or two every single game, and he makes it look so easy. Um, Daggett, as a defensive guru, how much do you appreciate a pole who can get things going the other way? Well, he keeps saying that word. I'm not sure you know what it means. But um... – it makes everything so much easier. And then the way the game's going, you know, six threats to score, clearing out of the defensive end. You know, the first thing these college guys are looking for now is can he pick the ball cleanly off the ground and handle it? 
there's there's no more room in the game for you know the big meathead who just stands on the crease and hits people. Uh, these poles these days are crazy good athletes, and a lot of them have a nose for a goal like Christmas does. It's a heck of a lot of fun to watch, to be honest. And then the f- fourth top ten commit in the class, and the, actually the one who committed first, Tomas Delgado Flano. You caught him at the one percent last fall. Um, I remember yeah, we pretty much everybody was like freaking out how good he was. I mean, what did you think of Tomas? It was amazing. Um, just seeing him just bulldodge every single defender and knock them back five yards was unbelievable. Um, everything he did was by far and large the best. Like if he dodged, he was the best dodger there. If he shot, he was the best shooter there. Um, his off ball movement was absurd and it's only gotten better over the last year at uh, Brunswick. So I'm really excited to see what he can do for the Blue Devils. That's going to be something special to watch, I think. Yeah, he's got a brother at Duke. Um, so a lot of people thought he was heading there early, but uh, I know a couple of schools, you know, obviously made a big push for him. Great player. But for him to kind of end up there and just kind of bring a little bit of, like I said earlier, a little bit of sandpaper to his game, a little bit of grit. Um, you know, he, he's done so many great things for prime time. I know this summer he had the game winner in overtime when they won the Naptown Challenge. Um, you know, he's kind of, he wants the ball in the big moment. He wants, you know, a lot of midi, a lot of high school middies don't want to play defense. He wants to punch you in the mouth. He wants to play good defense. Um, that mentality, I think, is going to be pretty important. So we are really interesting to see uh, how Duke rounds out this class is I don't think there are any more top 10 commits, but they can always poach somebody. So, and they've been known to do that in the past. So we'll see how, kind of how that goes. Um, moving on, you know, the other, other than Duke and, and a couple other uh, schools that we'll touch base, touch base with in a, in a little bit. Um, I mean, the Ivy league it, it has just been out of control. Uh, people, a lot of people were saying that they were never going to be able to recruit as well as, as, maybe they had in the past with just, um, you know, with everything that went down with COVID and, and not playing for pretty much two years. And uh, they pretty much flipped that and decided we're just going to recruit better than ever. Um, I mean, Penn's class just before we took the mics added another uh, really, really, really high end recruit and Ben Beecham from the West coast stars um, and mad dog, just a two handed midi who's just so smooth, so talented I watched him against primetime um, at, uh, at UMass, and it was basically him and Carson Kramer who's going to Princeton uh, in a two-man Braveheart against Tomas Delgado and Andrew Greenspan who's going to Notre Dame. It was just like whenever one guy did something, the other one, the other guy would come back and do something even better. And uh, Beecham's really, really talented, but the headliner for that class is Penn's highest-rated recruit, highest recruit of all time, uh, Leo Hoffman. We have him at number two in the whole class. Um, plays at Brunswick. It seems like Brunswick's doing all right these days. And um, also plays for Team 91 Bandits, coached by Joe Spelina, uh, one of the better teams in the in the country. Um, you guys have both seen Leo play. Like, what are your, your kind of thoughts and how big of a recruit is this for Penn? Fast is the first word that uh, comes to mind. I said that to you down, you know, at the 1% that day. You know, I'd seen kind of the highlights. It was my first time catching him live. Um, and it just stood out. He shot out of a cannon. And obviously, you know, no surprise that a lot of the commentary in the social media sphere about, you know, the Ivy's not being able to recruit in the future was wildly off base. I mean, color me shocked that lacks Twitter got something wrong. Um, and I think it's kind of a shot across everyone's bow that after a couple of years, they're, they're back. Penn and Princeton are cleaning up thus far, kind of on the recruiting scene. 
Um, I know you asked about Hoffman, but Penn also picked up, you know, at Davis Provost, um, Jacob Pachenko, and there's a few other guys, uh, Marco Fermenders uh, from Fairfield Prep is heading there, Grayson McClements from Nobles up our, you know, end of the country. So they're going to be back and potentially better than ever. I mean, Hoffman's the highest rated recruit they've got. You know, what better way to announce it? I mean, it's a pretty special class. We've, you mentioned Jacob Pacheco. We have him at number 20. He's a big, you know, fast midi. Played a lot of short stick team at Boys Lad in the MIAA champs this year. He had a goal in the title game, if I remember correctly. Um, just a big dude who runs really well. He can just make all the difference. I mean, you kind of touched on it and talking about Matt Christmas getting up and down. But when you've got the... Uh, when you've got a midi like Pacheco who can just, you know, do so much and takes pride in his defense, it's a big deal. And you mentioned Furmender, who's also great at 1%. Um, McClements is an awesome shooter. Um, they got a really good goalie, Declan Monahan from the DC Dogs. He was he was really strong in leading uh, leading Madlax to the 23 title at UMass. I mean, this class is, is very, very good. I mean, Pasha Hakimi, another high-end LSM. Um, probably the second best LSM in the, in the DMV area after Matt Christmas, which is uh, nothing to be nothing to be ashamed of to be second to that. So it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it seems like every day we're, you know, they're getting another high end commit and you're wondering like, how can they keep doing this? And it's just kind of interesting. One thing I've noticed is, is a lot of, uh, you know, a couple of the, a couple of the high end commits have specifically mentioned in their commitment post, something about the Wharton school of business when, which has obviously been around forever, but obviously Penn's got to be doing something a little bit different and kind of leveraging it uh, to get some, some of these high end commits. And, and that's obviously going to make a huge difference. I mean, Flano, your thoughts on that. Well, before I give my thoughts on the whole Leo Hoffman and the whole Penn situation, the Red Sox had a five, nothing lead in game four tonight and they just blew it. It's five, five in the top of the eighth inning. So um, yeah. The Perils are doing a podcast with a couple of Boston guys. Yeah. So just letting the fans out there know that if you hear any, uh, you know, screeches in the background, that's probably me yelling at the TV. Um, Anyways, I saw Leo Hoffman at 1%. Unbelievable player. Actually a really good kid. Um, I'm really happy for him. And, uh, you know, as far as like what Daggett was talking about with the Ivy Leagues, uh, not being able to recruit anymore, that's just so false. I mean, if you offer a kid a spot on Yale or Penn or Harvard lacrosse, and I mean, not saying they're always going to take it. They might get a better offer. Um, you know, Duke, Carolina, one of those schools, but it's a good chance they take it. You're getting, a, you're getting an unbelievable education. You're getting to play lacrosse and arguably the best conference in the country, the IV and the ACC. Um, so, you know, I think you're going to see this year a lot of the Ivy League teams maybe struggle a little bit because they lost so much from last year with so many guys transferring out, like TD Erlin going to Denver. Um, you know, it, it, the Ivy lost a lot of its talent to schools that were actually having a season last spring. So I think you're going to see a lot of new newcomers this year. See time. I know just from watching Harvard, um, their starting lineup is going to be pretty young. Um, Andrew Perry, who would have played under Daggett for one year, if not for COVID, um, he was on their first line attack a couple of times in a couple of the scrimmages I watched. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what a lot of these Ivy League uh, teams will look like this year. But I think moving forward into the future, the Ivy League isn't going anywhere. It's still going to be one of the top. Uh, college lacrosse conferences in the country. Well, just yeah, no doubt from, about it. Oh, go ahead. All right, Matt, just speaking from, from our end, um, you know, as things opened up, you know, two of our guys off our 23 black team that went, uh, Eli Goldstein, midfielder from Bell Hill, uh, it's Belmont Hill for uh, anyone who might not know, and David Sullivan from Roxbury Latin, both went fairly early to Dartmouth. And those are both, 
you know, very good players out of, you know, elite academic schools in the area. So, I mean, th those guys, guys are always going to drive recruitment just by the reputation of the Ivy League. Um, that's not necessarily just championship chasing. That's just trying to, you know, maximize your academic potential there. So, Plano's dead on. They're not going anywhere. No, definitely not. You got to set yourself up for success. And the obvious, I mean, have a pretty darn good track record of it. Um, you know, want to move on from Penn a little bit, just kind of touch base on, on the entire Ivy League. Like it seems to your point, Daggett, I mean, you're saying Dartmouth's, you know, got some really nice commits and I, and I agree. I mean, I like those, I like Goldstein. I like um, Sullivan quite a bit. Sullivan uh, plays with a lot of sandpaper to his game. And I know you guys love Goldstein too, kind of in a similar way. Um, you know, looking at Princeton's class, I mean, my goodness, you got Tucker Wade, um, really good midi on DC Express. Um, he was a 22. And, you know, I wrote this story when we were doing the, the top 10 uh, in the spring. He was a 22 who committed to Princeton and then decided to go to Australia, uh, where his dad, Ryan Wade, the former UNC All-American, played for a bit. And he's, he's gonna, so he's going to go to Australia for a bit. Then he might come back in the spring and do like a PG year at, a, you know, one of the, probably in your neck of the woods, one of the boarding schools. So Princeton got a, a pretty much, you know, pretty proven commodity um in his 23 class we added colin burns one of the few elite um qb types in the class there's probably only three four elite guys um you know in terms of ex attackman and and burns is definitely one of them he was awesome at umass i mean that whole dc dogs team was but um he just kind of runs the offense you know he can kind of um he can play with the ball on a stick he can play without it he's he's excellent i had one college coach um tell me that they thought that they could maybe pair him with another X guy just because he can do so many different things. Um, you know, Hunter Spies is another really good one, defense fan out of Brunswick. Um, he started for Brunswick this year and, you know, did a really good job. You started Brunswick as a sophomore. You're doing all right for yourself, had a big summer. And Carson Kramer is another one um, from the West Coast Stars. I mean, 6'5", 225, and maybe the fastest guy in the field a lot of the times. So that seems like a recipe for success. Um, and then, I mean, without going down every commitment, I mean, you know, Princeton did have the first flip of the, uh, of the 23 class when they, they took Colin Vickery from Notre Dame. And, um, that's a really, that's another guy, you know, playing at Culver, uh, he's the backup right now, but just only because, um, they have a really, really good goalie, um, in Adam Blind, the Harvard commit ahead of him. Um, and then another guy that I really like in, in that Princeton class is Mark Marino, a lefty shooter, split it up in one percentage. He was really good all summer. Um, I want to say we have him at 55 in the class. So really good player. So, you know, to, to the earlier point, like, you know, all the Ivies are loading up. I mean, every single Ivy class has a significant headliner. Um, Flano, your boys from, from Harvard took a couple 91 guys and Jack Spidell, the attackman and uh, Jackson Green, the midi. They also landed Michael Smythe from, from FCA, St. Paul's. I mean, you know, um, I'm sure they're, they're pretty excited about that. And then looking at Yale a little bit, I mean, they've been a little bit quieter, maybe moving at a slower pace, but they've added some really good dudes. Hunter Chevette is as good a shooter as there is in the class. Um, you know, Peter Moynihan's, you know, one of the few elite, uh, ex guys that we talked about, Roman Diona from Malvern, tough defenseman. And then one of the guys that I, I really like is, um, is Luke Mahalik from Brunswick in prime time, another Brunswick guy, but you know, sixth three 180 runs well um he's put on a show at a couple of nlf events so um yeah to, to your guys's point i don't think the ivies are going anywhere nope they are not <laughs> um i'm not really like a harvard fan i work for them but 
All I'll say is go Crim and look out for the Crim moving forward. Yeah, go nerds. Um, and then uh, you know a couple other classes we wanted to touch on just because you know definitely some some eye popping uh, results from these classes. I mean Georgetown is definitely one of them. Uh, I mean they got the top goalie in Anderson Moore from Thunder um, out of Alabama of all places. Um, another proven commodity in Nate Kabiri, who's a top twenty recruit for us. And, you know, they got a couple of, couple other dudes and, uh, Dagan, I'm going to let you talk about this guy. One of our favorites in this class, regardless of position, one James Carroll from Boston college high school in Massachusetts. Yes. One, one of our murderous sons, Matt. Um, yeah. Uh, following his older brother, um, Aiden to Georgetown was also a standout, um, Aiden at attack James, obviously at LSM. Um, yeah, just another guy who causes chaos in the middle of the field, kind of like we uh, like we teach, you know, made out of sandpaper, uh, likes to make things hurt. Uh, he's he's really going to be the centerpiece of that high school team for the next two years. So as much as I love coaching him all summer and winter, not a lot of fun looking across the field, seeing him at least twice a year in the spring because he causes a hell of a lot of problems. Um, but I think would also be remiss talking, you know, talking about what they've added. You know, let's not forget, you know, Will Bowen transferring in is going to help, you know, transform that defense uh, over the next year or so. And Georgetown is really kicking things up a notch. Yeah, I mean, obviously you worked with Bowen back in the day and, and he's done such a great job at Carolina. I mean, just not just from a playing standpoint, but from a leadership standpoint and, and everything that he can bring kind of as a total package. Like how big of an upgrade is this for Georgetown? Oh, huge. I mean, anyone who watched any of those games you know, on national TV, you see the 10 man ride, you know, it's essentially the same role he ran at BC high in their 10 man for four years. I mean, it doesn't happen that often on the defensive end where you just do the same thing to division one athletes that you did to high school kids. Um, Will was obviously able to do it. Um, so adding someone like that, you know, especially leadership wise will be huge. I can't wait to see how it shakes out. Um, and yeah, it's a nice little pipeline developing from, you know, the Northeast here where Georgetown's starting to grab some guys. Um, but yeah, looking at that recruiting class, they get, they have, you know, seven guys on the board and every one of them's a dog. So you can kind of see what they're looking for, you know, in terms of players. Absolutely. And then a couple, you know, let's, we'll just do two more and then uh, talk about the different classes in another time. But um, two that have really kind of stood out to me and, and just knowing some of the, some of the schools they've had to be for some of these recruits, like, Army and Navy both have had some really, really impressive pulls. Um, starting with Army, you know, a lot of people think that Robert Simone might be the top faceoff guy. He was hurt all summer, but um, in the spring, he led Don Bosco prep to a state title in New Jersey. And I think they went undefeated uh, and then transferred to Lawrenceville, who's just absolutely building an army right now. Um, so, he, you know, I know that they had to beat, I mean, pretty much everybody came knocking for Simone and, and Army. Uh, with a really, really impressive get, I know that their staff is, you know, um, kind of re, you know, reemphasize their commitment to recruiting. Obviously, it seems like they're doing a better job than ever. One of their first gets that they got in the class was a, a Hill Plunkett from Thunder um, in Roswell, Georgia, and he's just an electric attackman, really dynamic, um, rides really hard, makes a ton of great plays. You know, that Thunder um, attack line gave gave teams fits all summer long. Um, so he's excellent. And then um, Ryan DeRocco from Haverford School is a, you know, I mean, you don't really get a ton of Haverford School guys going to Army. I mean, I know they pulled one in the 22 class in Avi Mail. Um, 
And DeRocco also had some significant offers and, you know, that's a really big pull for them. He's probably going to be a QB type in the next year or so for the Fords. And then one of my favorite kind of under the radar guys, although we had him ranked, um, you know, he is at uh, 89 in, in our top 90 is Marek Seaman, a midi from Ruston High School, which is uh, better known for their hockey program than it is their lacrosse program usually. But he had a great year for them, was all state and PA, a two-way mid, just kind of fits the Army mold. Um, so really excited to kind of see this Army class take shape. And then on the other end, you have Navy, who is recruiting, uh, I'm assuming, for about 74 spots in this class. They've got 15 commits right now, uh, which is significantly uh, the most in the country. The headliner there is AJ Marsh from the Crabs, 6'3", 200-pound uh, defenseman slash LSM. Um, Daggett, I mean, what have, you, what have you kind of noticed about, you know, Army or Navy's classes? Yeah, you know, jumping back to the Army class, it's, you know, obviously great players, great gets. It's, it's interesting contrasting them with some of the Navy guys where, you know, all those Army offensive guys we just talked about, just mentioned, you know, 5'10", 5'11", throw like a buck 70. Um, they're all kind of in that same little mold. And then, you know, you drop the first name on Navy and, you know, 6'3", you know, monster who can run. So it's kind of interesting seeing the, the kind of difference between those two um, and kind of the player mold, you know, maybe I'm crazy. That's here, a but. great point. No, that's a great point. I mean, you look at maybe their most recent commit um, guy I'm pretty familiar with, with, with team 91 is JJ Aiello. He's, you know, 1% all-stars. He's 6'2", 6'3", 210. He was banged up all year, but he's starting to get healthy now and um, played pretty well in an event for, for the bandits a couple of weeks ago. Looked kind of looked like he was back and, uh, Jack Ponzio, another 91 guys, like a pretty, you know, well-built guy, Zach Hayashi at the faceoff, uh, strike from the crabs is, is not that tall, but he's just very built and very, very strong. So that's a really good point. You know, I hadn't really given it much thought, but, uh, now that you mentioned it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, so really interesting with those, with those two classes in particular. I mean, we know they'll pack some weight on those guys, but of course, you know, and, and unless, you know, the Navy's building bigger submarines. Some of these, <laughs> these big fellows they're recruiting on defense. I don't know what they're going to be doing. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the Marsh kid in particular, that's that's such a huge get um, to get a kid out of McDonough. Uh, where Navy's traditionally done pretty well, but, you know, to get a, when I mean, top 15 recruit in the class when he's getting recruited by just about everybody, or I'm sorry, we had him at 18, um, is, is really a kind of a statement piece for Navy. So um, Armed Force is doing pretty darn well. Um, you know, Air Force has even gotten a couple of impressive kind of under the radar gets. So those guys are doing very well, too, which I, I found has been uh, pretty interesting. So um, but uh, moving on, you know, uh, Dagan, we touched a bit on this earlier, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your uh, your 23 commits from from Massachusetts. You guys have a really competitive team, as usual, with some of the, the best guys in the country. So um, take it away. Yeah. You know, we'll start off with us. We'll hit all these clubs, you know, as we kind of go next couple episodes here so you know don't worry everybody it's not strictly Massachusetts propaganda coming up but it may seem like it the, on the first episode but it won't be yeah you know uh so yeah just touching a couple other guys we haven't talked about yet um you know Adam Negrelli this last uh maybe you know last week 10 days or so uh, another big you know long stick defenseman you know six three six four type guy uh just committed to UNC uh really you know excited to send another Hole down that way, you know, after all the success Bowen had. Um, a guy who really learned this past summer just to hit singles, not not necessarily throw the big check every time for a takeaway. 
And as he settled down and realized, you know, physically guys can't run by him, his potential kind of just exploded there. Um, Julian Target, Ohio State, you know, down coming from IMG, uh, was a huge scorer for us all summer. You know, he takes a couple shots a game where you kind of wonder if they're in range, but he seems to can them all. So, I mean, we just told him to keep shooting, which what a luxury to have as a, you know, defensive coach when you're scoring 18 yard goals against really high competition. Um, Owen Yamansky, another Ohio State guy, um, just actually transferred out of my conference from St. John's Prep back to Governor's Academy. So thrilled to you see must be heartbroken. Thrilled to see him out of there. You know, congrats <laughs> on the state title last year. Take your ring and get out. You're somebody else's problem now. Um, <laughs> fantastic kid. You know, just a, another like another grinder and uh, really quick hands, really comfortable with the ball and a stick. Uh, scored a huge goal for us uh, at NLF against Sweetlax, Florida. Uh, for the win right before uh, the game ended there, ended up winning by a goal. And uh, yeah, you know, a couple other guys, we talked about the Dartmouth fellas, uh, you know, had some success, uh, success with goalies, Matthew Torrey uh, to Air Force, and then uh, Connor Foley to Brown. So it's, you know, it's been a good kind of recruiting uh, session for us thus far. I know we're going to have Foley on uh, later this episode to talk a little bit about his process and his summer and all the work that goes into it. So that should be fun. Anyone who's covered or watched the games know his mouth never stops. So we should get some good audio out of that anyway, right? <laughs> Definitely. It might be why he's my favorite goalie in the class. But, uh, you know, two, two guys I really want to talk about is, well, let's start with with Julian Target. It's it doesn't make sense to me when I watch this kid play that he's six, three and his feet move as quickly as they do. It's like, he's, you know, he's got the footwork of like a five, nine midi just in a six, three body. And, and then you project to, you know, is this kid going to play at 195, 200? Maybe, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Ohio state will introduce him to their very fancy state of the art weight room. Um, and then, you know, I mean, what kind of potential does he have if he kind of, you know, hits his potential, if he gets up to, 6'3", 195, 200, and, and, you know, refines his offensive game a little bit. And what's, what's the ceiling there, Daggett? Yeah, I mean, they spent all that money on that weight room out there, so I'm sure they'll, they'll get him in there. And, you know, his frame definitely lends itself to packing on some good weight where he's going to stay fast. And like you said, his footwork is very, very good, especially for someone his size. Um, so that, that'll only, you know, push him farther. He's learned to use his body a little bit, um, but having, you know, some more mass behind it will be, really, really helpful. And I'd say to his credit this summer, as he started drawing a ton of attention as a Dodger, he's really grown, you know, looking through the defense, finding his teammates and, you know, he celebrates his assists, you know, as, as hard, if not harder as he celebrates his goals, which you love to see. So I think he's, you know, he's a great fit for what they like to do offensively. And, you know, it's going to be really exciting to see him kind of grow into that role as he adds weight. And I know we'll talk to him and I'm very excited for it. Uh, just such a personable guy, but what's it like having a guy like Connor Foley in the cage? I mean, he never shuts up. Like you said, he's, he's chirping shooters. He is the first to go celebrate with his teammates when the team scores a goal, he's chasing everything out of the cage. I mean, he's as high energy as it gets. Um, and his teammates seem to love him. I know talking to, you know, uh, your pals, uh, Dan Schwenard, Dave Evans, Sean Morris. I mean, they all love him just talking about the, the kind of impact he has on the team and just elevating everybody's play. So what's it like to, to have a guy back there who's not just great at taking away shots, but just, you know, bringing everybody's energy level up. 
Yeah, I mean, who else do you want to play in front of? I mean, that the energy is infectious. Um, and I think my, my favorite anecdote, anecdote about him was uh, actually down at the 1% last summer. Um, you know, it's an individual showcase. Kids are kind of thrown together. I was most impressed that he knew every name of the guys on his team, some of which he just met, and he used them all day, um, which I, I think just speaks to how much he, he cares about, you know, the, the team in front of him and the guys down the other end. You don't see that very often, um, and it's hard. You know, if you're bad bad with names like I am, I can't even imagine learning 20 names in five minutes and then remembering them all. It's crazy. Right. Um, but, yeah, the energy's infectious. He steals, you know, one or two end lines a game, you know, and he's really unorthodox inside. So even when the offense does something right and you might, you know, hit a skip pass to the backside, sometimes that attackman's catching it and Foley's just five yards out of the net on top of him where he's not supposed to be and just, you know, makes a save. Um, I don't know how he does some of it. We're going to have to ask him. But it definitely makes it a lot more fun to go coach when it's 110 degrees or 8 in the morning on some field just because you know he's bringing the positive vibes. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I, I can't imagine there's uh, there's too many guys that wouldn't want to play in front of that guy. You know, I feel like you, you just kind of play a little bit harder. So um, later in the episode, we'll also be bringing on Sean Morris, uh, you know, Massachusetts director, NLF director, um, a former pro player, you know, really uh, has had a big impact on obviously forming the NLF and, and turning it into what it is today and kind of had the, the vision to start the NLFrankings.com and has gotten us here, I guess. So we're excited to have him on and, and we'll also have Connor Foley on as well. And we are back at the NLF Insider Podcast and very excited to bring on our uh, one of our guests, um, Director of Massachusetts and Director of the NLF as well, Sean Morris, former pro player as well, UMass All-American. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, really excited to uh, kick this off. You guys do a tremendous job, and this will be uh, just one more feather in the cap for you. Uh, excited to be on here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So, you know, first thing I'm curious about, and you can kind of tell people that, a little bit of the backstory, but, you know, how did the NLF exactly come to be, you know, bringing in all the top clubs in the country um, to the best events? I mean, you've got, you know, obviously the, the six founding members, Massachusetts, Leading Edge, Team 91, Long Island Express, the Crabs, and Triple H. Um, and then how'd you guys kind of expand on that and, you know, take me through the whole process of that. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was a long time coming. Um, you know, I felt like the sport in general, uh, we were just going to so many events and calling the same guys over and over. Um, so myself, Danny and Dave would call, you know, Muley, Chris Roy, Ryan, um, and just try to figure out where the best guys were going to the best events, because for our families, we were just trying to curate what would be competition for five games, as opposed to two really strong games, um, coming out of pool play. Then all of a sudden it just annies up really quick. So, you know, in doing that, we, we started the NLF, uh, just with the founding six members and felt like if, if the six of us were at a small event we'd be competing against each other. We'd be able to, you know, have the best competition on the field. And, you know, as we launched it, you know, more and more people got excited about it. Um, and that's where we started to add membership and we looked regionally, we looked at, you know, specific clubs and, and how well they were doing, you know, with tourney machine. And, you know, that allowed us to kind of look off the back end and say, okay, well, you know, the proof's, you know, in the pudding here and, and the guys being able to get it done on the field. Uh, those were the guys that we wanted to, 
you know, invite and, and create, you know, a small event. And then we, we had larger goals uh, as, you know, and the NLF members started to see some of the successes of it, not just from, a, you know, the field standpoint, but, you know, more importantly, our families um, and the excitement that they had, you know, they would always revert back to, you know, that was the best event of our summer competition was great. Uh, college coaches were there, you know, from a youth perspective, you know, that that's really where I think, you know, club sports in general can be difficult because um, you really just never know, you know, in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, who, who is, you know, the, the top 10, who's the top 20. I mean, even to this day, as, as everybody does rankings of players and teams, it's still, you know, has its own biases regardless. Uh, there's no, there's no clean cut way of doing it. And Matt, you've probably worn the most bullets in doing it. So, you know, that, that's a little bit of the backgrounds um, as to how we started uh, and where we are today. You know, we've obviously got a fall event on the 21st down in Baltimore. Uh, then we'll be down at IMG on MLK weekends with the 23, 24, 25, 26 classes. Um, we're also potentially, you know, looking at, you know, opportunities like a podcast, right? How, what, what more does the sport need? And, and this is, this is one of those, you know, next steps along the way. And, you know, we launched NLF rankings, you know, this past spring, uh, obviously coming out of COVID and, and looking into the summer, there was some, some hurdles for us um, with this, you know, high school season going as long as it did. Uh, we did a great job creating content throughout the country uh, so many thanks to all of our writers and videographers that were out doing that. Uh, so, you know, that kind of, you know, puts us where we're at today. Um, and, you know, sadly, you know, we did have another partner with, with Matt, obviously here with Ryan Killian and, and, you know, God bless him and his family. Unfortunately, he did pass uh, in July this past year. And, you know, the lacrosse community was, was very supportive for him and his family uh, in a time of need. And, you know, the, the family still stays with us. Uh, we actually have both boys playing in Massachusetts, uh, great kids, great family. Um, so there's, there's been a lot that's gone on, you know, in the, in the past year, but, you know, from where we were coming out of the gates and where we are to now, uh, we're just very excited about the opportunity ahead. Yeah, definitely been uh, a lot going on in the past year, to say the least. Uh, the one thing I'm curious about that, that always kind of blows me away, I mean, the past two events that the NLF has had uh, where college coaches have been allowed, which is um, obviously this past summer at UMass and then the 2019 Fall Invitational, you know, more than 300 college coaches at both of those events, um, you know, one in the fall, which, you know, in the fall is a little tougher sometimes to get a lot of college coaches and you know, 339, I believe was the exact tally, which is obviously the most anyone's ever had. Like, what does that kind of say about the NLF just in general? And, and you know, is this kind of what you envisioned uh, when you guys all started the NLF? Uh, I, first off, we're, we're grateful for it. Uh, it definitely wasn't in the initial vision. Uh, we just thought we'd have great competition for our families. And, and obviously over the years, the, the college coaches ha have seen it uh, and have reacted to it. And, and, you know, I, th I think the best part about the NLF and, and the membership for it is, you know, not everybody's going to go to Notre Dame and Carolina and, and Harvard, right? But when you have that many college coaches, there's a home for everybody. Uh, you know, is that Springfield? Is that uh, Hartwick? Is that Tufts? Is that, you know, there's just so many um, 
schools that are in attendance and, you know, looking for their guys. And, you know, not everybody is going to be that top 100 player. And, you know, that's not necessarily our focus. Yes, we're able to do a great job servicing those guys, but, you know, it's an all around approach uh, that we've taken and made sure that each one of our kids has an opportunity, you know, to further their college across career. Strictly from a Massachusetts standpoint, I mean, I know you guys, uh, you, you have usually, you know, three teams at every age group. And, and as a result, you've been able to have the most college commits in every class for, I want to say the past six or seven years, I believe. Um, what's been the kind of the secret sauce or, you know, how do you, what do you kind of attribute the, the success of the club to? I think it's just a lot of, a lot of work and, and, and time that's put into it by, you know, the players and the families first and foremost, uh, and then just the opportunity to, to open their eyes and guide them in the right direction. I think that's a big part of having some, you know, hard dialogues uh, with some players and families where expectations sometimes need to be curbed a little, uh, but also need to open their eyes up to what great opportunities they are, there are out there besides Division One. You know, then you've got Division Two, Division Three, MCLA. Sean, like, you know, what do you kind of see as the future for the NLF? What do you, you know, what kind of uh, great things can we expect to see in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like obviously this is a, a big component to it, you know, bringing on, you know, players, bringing on coaches, bringing on just people that are ambassadors to the game and, and do a tremendous job and growing it and, and making sure that the right content's out. Um, you know, obviously we've got, our fall event, then IMG, and then we're back at it this summer. So, you know, it, it's, it's probably more going to be focused, you know, in, in this category of, you know, the NLF rankings um, as to how we can grow that and, and how we can uh, best showcase, you know, our, our players and families. So I just want to thank uh, Sean Morris for, for joining us on the inaugural uh, NLF insider podcast. Uh, very excited to, you know, have him on and, and get his insight um, and see what's kind of in store for the NLF as it continues to, uh, you know, attract the best teams and players in the country. So Sean, thanks for having us and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, I really appreciate it guys. And, and best of luck doing this. We're very excited. Um, you guys do a tremendous job already. So we have that same expectation moving into this. And as, uh, as we move forward, look forward to talking to you guys more and anything you need, just give me a holler. Thanks, Sean. We're excited to be joined by the NLF's number 15 prospect in the 2023 class from Thayer Academy in Boston, as well as Massachusetts lefty goalie just committed to Brown a couple weeks ago. Thanks for joining us, Connor Foley. Of course, super pumped. Connor, tell, take me through kind of the whole process for you. What was it like? And, you know, did you kind of expect it to, to play out as quickly as it did? Or, you know, what were you kind of expecting? To be honest, I didn't really know what to expect at first. Like, I, 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 like, I was hoping to go pretty fast, but, and, it, and I did, thankfully. But um, I honestly had no clue what was going to happen. How nerve-wracking is it for you, especially as a goalie? And, you know, this is you know, considered to be a very, very strong goalie class. Um, so how nerve-wracking was it for you, even though you had a great summer, that you don't really know where you stand? And, and obviously most schools are taking one goalie per class. Yeah, um, I wasn't really nervous. Like, I was just more curious than nervous, like just what was going to happen and play out. And then, you know, take, tell us about how Brown got in the picture. I mean, did they kind of reach out to you right away? With, did it take a couple of days, you know, and then how quickly did you know that it was the place for you? I know it's you know, somewhat local for you. So um, I'm sure that, that helped out a little bit too. 
Yeah, very. So they reached out exactly at midnight on September 1st. They were my first text. And they reached out, wanted to talk the next day on September 1st. And got had a great call with Coach Daly. Um, texted with Coach Holm a lot. Um, yeah, and then I was like, I wanted to visit. I wanted to get all my visits in. And they were actually my first visit. Um, and I just fell in love with the campus and family and coaches there. And just right away, I knew it was the place. Yeah, it's been a pretty goalie-friendly system. I mean, they've been, you know, pumping out some some pretty impressive goalies there. How how big of an impact did that have on your decision? That definitely had a, like, that that Jack Kelly, Phil Goss, all those guys, great. And um, just love, love the culture there and wanted to be one of the next great goalies. Now, you know, take, let's go back a little bit. Um, I know you started it there for Coach Rubier this this spring. Uh, what was that like, especially after, you know, not playing the year before, um, kind of getting your feet wet at the varsity level and, and all that? So take us through that process. So, yeah, it was an awesome season. Loved it. Um, so sophomore year, I was at Grafton. And then Coach Rubier reached out during COVID and all that. And I decided he offered me to go there. And I was, fell in love with there. So, Transferred there, reclassed, and then had a great season. Loved it. Team was awesome, and I I knew Coach Ruber was one wanted to go there because um he's just one of the greatest coaches I've ever had, and in the country. Yeah, I mean I knew you had a you know pretty sick season for them, and and was it twenty four saves in the one game? <laughs> yeah, I was. That was a Is great game. That the game. most you've ever had in a game? I believe so. Something up there. I mean that's that's a ton of saves. I mean. Did you kind of realize right away that you might be uh, on the way to, you know, maybe having the best game of your career? Or is it just kind of at the end somebody told you uh, how many you'd put up? So, yeah. Um, so the first shot of the game, the Jack Rideout won the faceoff, came down, and then they scored right away. And I was like, oh, no. Then next play, got the ball, got bodied. And I was like, oh, no, this is not it. And then just started having, just started balling and, just I, it was a whole different mindset. I don't even remember half the game. I was in, I swear I was on another planet. How how much confidence does a season like that give you? And and you know how how big was it to to have that going into a big summer with Massachusetts and, and a very strong Massachusetts team at that? Oh, I loved it. Was that was just awesome and um loved the season, loved the season absolutely. And yeah, it just gave me a lot of confidence to just carry on playing great. And just wanted to get better and better during the summer. Now, how do you kind of best describe your playing style? I mean, you know, a lot of us have seen you play a whole bunch of times, but you've got a pretty unique style, so high energy. You know, how, how much, uh, how, how unique would you say your style is? And do you kind of think it's helped set you apart from everybody? Um, I would definitely consider myself one of, like, the more energetic players. Um, I, I just love to bring, like, the fire, get everyone pumped. And, yeah, I would – I'd consider myself like a butterfly goalie, lots of flops and like dramatic as some say. <laughs> butterfly goalie. That's good. Um, so Connor, I know you were busy September 1st, you know, starting at midnight. Um, I guess without going into too much detail, we don't need to hear about all the schools you're not going to. How did you narrow that down from, I think it was 14 or 15 schools to Brown so quickly? Um, Just the possibilities after Brown. I really thought like, I never like knew what I wanted to be honest going into September 1st. Like I obviously had my wants and nots, but I just didn't know what I wanted. And then I just, as like September 1st, I like, it just clicked to me and I was like, what will further me best in my education and afterlife and like all that just be set for life after. 
Makes sense to me. Now, the biggest question, are you ready to join, you know, a group of Brown players that includes one and only Dave Evans? Are you ready for that type of pressure? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm pumped for it. Has he reached out to you about the commitment yet? Oh, yeah. I had a talk with um, Evans over email, and he was pumped, and Morris, too. They were all pumped. Connor, I mean, I first got to watch you play last – well, I think I watched you play two years ago at IMG, and then really as a 23, saw you play at 1%. And, and since then, it seems like every event I see you at, you play out of your mind. So you're welcome for that one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how has your game kind of developed, I guess, over the past year and change or so, where you went from a, a good goalie to, you know, considered one of the best goalies and players in the whole class? Like, you know, was there anything in particular that you kind of did? Or, you know, was it, you know, when, when COVID shut everything down, did it kind of ramp up your training like it did for a lot of guys? Like, what was the, the switch for you? Um, yeah, reclassing was a major help. That was one of my best decisions ever. Um, but the, I just really feel like during quarantine, I just, like, wanted to get – I just wanted to grind, 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 and just get out there because we weren't able to play games that whole, like, summer, very, like, minimal games. And um, I just wanted to be like, take my le- take my game to the next level. So I just kept grinding after it. Well, thank you very much to Connor Foley for joining us on the um, on the podcast today. It's uh, been very exciting to, to have one of the best goalies in the country kind of give us his insight, uh, both on the recruiting process and just kind of how he took his game to the next level. Uh, definitely, you know, if you haven't seen Connor play in person, it's definitely uh, worth the price of admission because he'll make a couple saves every game that really makes your jaw drop and and uh it's it's really really impressive so thanks again connor excited to have had you and uh good luck the rest of the way thanks so much for having me can't wait